episode 12, I think we're episode 12. Um, we are joined by, I, I, I'm your usual co-host, uh, Sean Dukirk here without Matthew Lamar. Um, we're joined by Royals Review writers, uh, Minda uh, Coleman-Nee-Haas. Uh, Minda, how's it going? It's going great. You're still married, right? Still married, yeah. Okay, good, good. Um, and we've got Matt Jackson uh, with a brand new uh, microphone. Not to call him out, but he's very proud that he got a new mic uh, just, just the other day. I'm just, I'm less ashamed. Yep. Uh, and we've got two writers uh, from Amazing Avenue uh, with us here tonight. Uh, Jeffrey Paternostro. Did I get that right? Yes. Okay. And then we've got uh, Greg Karam. Hey, Greg. Oh. Are you there, Greg? Yes, I okay. am. Good, good. Uh, that okay. would have been a major We're off boost. to a good start, Greg. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we actually don't have Greg. Uh, let's cancel the podcast. All right, let's uh, get this going here. So, fellas, how about uh, how about the Mets making the World Series? Uh, you know, in April, I think everybody across the board would would lay down the odds the Mets weren't making the World Series, yet here we are. Is this this big of a surprise, kind of the Mets fandom, or what are your thoughts there? Oh, yeah, it's a big surprise. Um, I think that Jeff and I, probably coming into the season, had expectations more of maybe like an 84, 85. Like that would have been probably on the optimistic side of things. I think that we were both a little bit more pessimistic coming into the year. Um, and then also the way things progressed as the season went on with some guys going down with injuries like Darno and Wright. And, you know, it just it looked very bleak for a time there. Yeah, it was a very frustrating offseason, too, because you see the Nationals ran away with the division last year, make some big moves, bring in Max Scherzer, and the Mets' big offseason signing is Michael Kadire, giving up a draft pick to do it. They look, as Greg said, you know, second wild card range. You know, coming into the season, there was sort of the projection systems had a glut of teams in that sort of like 80 to 85 win range behind the Dodgers, Cardinals, and Nationals as the presumptive division favorites. And then the Mets got off to a great start. They won the 11-game win streak early in the season, gave it all back by Memorial Day. So you're like, oh, well, that was fun. And now reality sets in. Even looked that way really up until the trade deadline, and they didn't trade Wilmer Flores, did trade for Ioannis Desvetis, and the Nationals completely imploded, and the rest is history. Yeah, and that um, that Flores trade, I mean, obviously had a lot of you know press and hot takes about it. Worked out, you know, I would imagine that, Cespedes, prop, you know, had a bigger impact than theoretically maybe Carlos Gomez could have had. But um, speaking of kind of on Cespedes, there, you know, free agent obviously coming up there due to his contract. Um, if you had the choice between spending the money hefty and signing Cespedes or re-signing maybe for a little more moderately Daniel Murphy, who's due to be a free agent, uh, or Babe Ruth as he's now called, um, which one do you, t- do you guys go for? Well. I mean, I, I, I would write Cespedes a blank check at this point. I think that's exactly what Jeff said earlier today, uh, is that, you know, there's, there's more depth at the second base position within the organization right now. Um, and Cespedes is the kind of bat that really just, it's an impact bat. And it's the kind of hitter that the Mets have really lacked for a few years. And I know that we know that he's not going to be you know, continue to hit the way he did after he signed with the Mets, but it's still an impact bat, and I, I think that signing him would really lengthen the lineup. And so, to answer your question, I, I would sign Cespedes. Yeah, 
there's really no reason they shouldn't be able to sign both. And realistically, we know what the Mets payroll restriction. We don't know specifically what the Mets payroll restrictions are. We do know the Met, do know the Mets have payroll restrictions, not really becoming of a team in New York City. But you're talking about somewhere between probably 35 and 40 million a year for these two players. Cespedes on a longer term deal than Murphy. There's no reason they shouldn't be able to afford that. I mean, I don't think either of those contracts look great on the back end, but that's true of any free agent deal for someone on the wrong side of 30, as we say. Um, but to Greg's point, yeah, they could more easily replace Daniel Murphy's production at second base next year with uh, Wilmer Flores or uh, Dilson Herrera as one of their top prospects than I think they could replace Cespedes's production in, in the outfield. So it doesn't seem like, and it's always, maybe not always talked about, but uh, the Wilpons, you know, always have just kind of a, it's a negative connotation on that uh, whenever someone, you know, says Wilpon. Um, they're not the reason for, and I'm just trying to key in on, you know, you mentioned that they do have payroll. It always, you always hear that, oh no, the Mets don't have payroll. Maybe what's the restriction as far as what is Wilpon, you know, when it comes to signing free agents, does he have maybe an MO? Um, does he not spend big money or is it even Wilpon's decision? It just comes up to, you know, the GM. Um, I think, uh, the Wilpons have always been very willing to spend money on this team when Bernie Madoff was giving them 20% back on their money every year. Um, since that spigot's been turned off, um, they have a lot of debt due. I mean, a lot of that financed this stadium. A lot of it financed SNY when they were first starting up. So there's a lot of debt due on that in the next few years, as there have been in the past few years. You know, Howard Megdal now at USA Today has written a lot about that in the past. I don't really have time to rehash it during our World Series preview here. But I think you'll see it creep up a little bit more. They had a huge attendance bump this year. They've got the playoff money. There's going to be pressure on them to spend. Now, Daniel Murphy going off like he has in the playoffs makes it a little bit easier on them, I think, because they can bring him back and then maybe let Suspendus walk and there's not as much of an outcry because of how good Murph's been. And, you know, he alone maybe bumps them to 110 million next year. I could see them going maybe even to 115. But with all the money in the sport right now, they should easily be able to go, I think, 150, if not more. Mm-hmm. And it's just not going to happen in the foreseeable future. Yeah, and they've got the cap. It sounds like you know they're not they're not needing to have Bobby Bonilla come back and play for them with the money they're paying them. I mean, it's they've got some room to work with, which. You always kind of hear you, you see the Yankees as you know the big spenders and they've got a you know 200 million plus payroll. Then you've got kind of the little brother as almost it seems with the Mets there. So it sounds like in verbatim for you, it's not an obli- they're the obligation to sign them. There's plenty of payroll on it, right? I think so. Yeah, I mean they should be. They have money coming off the books this year. They have a few contractually obligated raises, a few arb raises. But look at this pitching staff, and that's the reason they're here. All of those guys are making league minimum. Yeah. Those four, every starter that's going to pitch in this series, they're shut down reliever, all making league minimum. And I think Harvey and Familia are the only two that will be R1 going into next season. And that's still not going to be an onerous yeah. payroll ad. Yeah. Um, kind of speaking of rotation, what's, uh, what's Cologne's um, outlook here? Is he just going to stay long man, it sounds like, or do you think he gets a start in this series at all? I think he's just going to be awesome. Yeah, <laughs> whatever he does. Uh, it sounds like they're committing to Stephen Matz in Game Four, and I think they like 
And you can certainly make an argument that based on how Matt's has done his two postseason starts, you might want to roll the dice with Cologne, especially home at City in the cold weather. But I think they like having the option of using him multi-innings out of the pen multiple times in the series. It just seems like he can throw every day, and there's no real change. He's not a max effort guy by any stretch of the imagination. Um, So I don't really see a need for it. Greg, I know you've been banging the cologne should start over Matt Strum since September. Are you still staying with that? No, I'm actually really enjoying his current role and his flexibility out of the pen because you'd, you'd have to, if you move Matt to the pen, you'd have to be a little bit more careful with him just because of he's young and he has some, some injury history there. So I think that cologne's, like you said, the rubber arm, you know, not a max effort guy, gives you a lot of flexibility out of the pen. You can use him any day, multiple innings. Yeah, it kind of seems like he's... And other than what he adds to the actual field of playing, he's kind of like the Mets Munenori uh, Kawasaki, where he's just like an awesome character to have, just to boost team morale. If you believe in you know the the boosting of team morale, boosting performance, but other than just what he you know comes on plays on the field, he's kind of just a fun guy just to have overall in the dugout, just because he's a he's a goof, and b he's just kind of obviously a larger guy who's older and just just sticks out like a sore thumb whenever they're you know looking along the dugout. Yeah, nothing bothers him. It's just he's always got the same sort of flat, affected demeanor on his face no matter what. And I didn't actually realize this until I was doing research for a piece, but he's never actually pitched in the World Series before. He oh, was really? on the 97 Indians team, but he didn't make the World Series roster. Oh, hmm. Yeah, but so he's been around for, I mean, shoot, he played for the Expos. Since, he's been around yep. for long. Um, so we kind of know about the pitching. We, you know, we know that those four, the four young guns there, what's maybe underrated about the Mets. What's the kind of thing that the you know the casual Met fan is well aware of who you know Harvey and Syndergaard and uh, Mats and all are, but who maybe they don't know about, or what's the more underrated? Is it defense? Is it maybe you know? It's uh, not defense. It's not <laughs> right. Is it strength up the middle? What's what's the big thing that you think? Oh, I don't know. I mean, they have. Um, I guess not, you know the national audience is probably not too familiar with Michael Conforto yet. Yeah. Um, he's a guy who they drafted in the first round last year, and uh, they promoted straight out of Double A. Um, I forget. I guess some, at some point in July, I think. Um, and he he came up and just just was tearing the cover off the ball. Uh, and it was just uh, it was really great. Uh, and he's going to be seeing the field a lot. Um, in this series because uh, it, it appears that the Royals are a very right-handed predominant uh, pitching staff and uh, Conforto's a lefty and he's only been facing lefties, uh, mm. righties. So um, he's a guy who might be a little bit under the radar. Yeah, and even long-term on Conforto because at OSU, I mean, he was def- he definitely was bat first at OSU and a lot of scouts kind of questioned on even if he would settle in left field maybe. Um, long term, I mean, you know, we hear about Schwarber being moved from center to left, and he's not—he's terrible at left. Is Conforto maybe as bad in left? Not maybe not as bad as Schwarber, but I mean, is he going to be killing you defensively enough to offset, you know, the hopefully offset the offensive upside, or maybe how bad is he in left field, or maybe the future outlook of him in an outfield? He's actually a really good left fielder. Is he? Um, okay, yeah, he's been a little shakier towards the end of the season, but. He's fine there. Uh, the arm is solid because it's, ac- it's accurate. It's not a particularly strong arm, but he's an accurate arm. He still doesn't get the greatest reads in the world, but he's deceptively athletic. You look at him, yeah. he's kind of like this 
stocky dude. Like he looks like a catcher. You guessed what position he played just looking at him, you might say catcher. But he's got pretty good baseball instincts. He runs well. I think I had him as just a, a, a 40 runner in the minors, only slightly below average. That'll play in left. The arm's good. He's more athletic. Uh, he can close on balls well. He's got good body control in the outfield. Um, you know, eventually does that body go downhill in his late 20s and he has to move to first or he's below average in a corner? Yeah, probably. But the dude's 22. I think he'll be, for the next five years, he'll be fine in left field. That's not really a concern I have. It's, it's certainly not Kyle Schwarber, who yeah. looks like a catcher that's going to be a first baseman and playing left field. Right, right. That makes Hanley Ramirez, well, maybe not as bad as Hanley's defense, but it's it's not pretty it, out there. I mean, know? it's Adam Dunn out there. Yeah. Um, and so, and kind of... Looking at, and we'll, we'll transition to the prospect side of things. Um, Royals re-readers, you guys are well aware that I cover prospects with the Royals. Minda does as well, uh, living in Omaha there. Um, you know, when you kind of look at, and we talked about this with um, Scott from Bluebird Banter, uh, who writes for the Blue Jays. He does some prospect work there. A lot of, they're very draft heavy for pitchers, or at least they were historically. The Mets maybe aren't, you know, pitcher draft heavily necessarily, but they do have, you know, their stars are mostly in their arms, and the thing you see, not across the board, but on multiple pitchers when you talk Zach Wheeler, you talk Matt Harvey, Stephen Matz, I'm probably missing somebody else that had Tommy John, but a lot of their kind of higher prospects all have Tommy John. Is that maybe an organizational concern, we think, or is that maybe just, you know, kind of luck of the draw, 10 staff? You know, there's nothing you can do. They're pitchers. I haven't actually gone back and, and charted it. It's been one of my off-season projects. But I would say probably under Alderson, and these weren't all Alderson pitchers, mind you, but since 2011, I would guess there's probably at least 20 arms in the system that have had Tommy John surgery. So I think it is something worth keeping an eye on. If there's some, if it's a, if it's a selection philosophy where they're more willing to take guys that might have questionable mechanics, but I mean, Harvey doesn't really have questionable mechanics. You know, Matt's mechanics now are pretty clean. Uh, DeGrom certainly are, and he had Tommy John surgery shortly after coming up. I think these guys just break, and I think it's an issue of miles on the arm well before they get drafted. Whether And it's not even college. It's the 160-game-a-year showcase circuit when you're 15 and 16. I mean, you've got perfect game stuff going on in Florida right now in the middle of October. And these guys will play in warmer climates on travel teams through the winter, back through to the spring again next year. And these guys don't play... 25 games in high school anymore and that's it and then they play basketball in the winter and soccer or football in the fall like it was 25 years ago you've got guys that are pitching year-round since they're 15 i think that's where you start to see the issue yeah and is there maybe you know with some organizations it's they're quick to bring up prospects some organizations are slow some go um, like pitcher heavy college heavy is there maybe an, an overall philosophy that maybe the mets focus on when they look at the draft I don't think so. Like I've talked to Paul D. Podesta about this on a couple of occasions, and he's very steadfast, and they sort of view each draft as its own beast. They look at what the strengths and weaknesses of that draft class are, and you know, it, once they identify that, it, it informs their selection process, but not necessarily in the same way all the time. Like going back to 2011, they took Brandon Nimmo as a top half of the first round pick because they did not see a lot of bats in general in that draft and they wanted to jump on one early that they liked even though you know if you go into the ba 500 or draft grades like that saw him more as a late first round supplemental first round type of pick 
And they went and went pitching heavy later in the draft. They thought there was plenty of pitching depth. You know, uh, other years they see there's a, there's a surplus. This year they thought there was a lot of left-handed, a lot of prep pitching in general, but especially a lot of left-handed prep pitching. They loaded up on that in you know the first ten rounds. So I don't think there's a particular system. They're obviously have been very good at developing pitchers in the last few years. Uh, you know, up and down the system, it's not just Dan Worthen though he gets a lot of the credit as a major league pitching coach, and he should. You know, it's it's Glenn Abbott, it's Frank Viola. They have good pitching coaches up and down the minors. So I think they maybe maybe they think they can get more out of those later round picks. I mean, every single first round pick they've made, or I'll say every their top pick this year they didn't have a first round pick, but every top pick they've made in the draft so far has been a uh, bat. And almost exclusively a prep bat, other than Conforto. So I don't think there's any yeah. rhyme or reason to it per se, other than sort of like best player available. They get their guy. Sure. And speaking of Nimmo, you know, out of I think what was it, Wyoming or somewhere in the, the, the Cheyenne, yeah. yeah, Wyoming, right, right. Uh, what's his kind of future with maybe the Mets? You know, he's kind of a guy that's light on power, but you know, average across the board except for maybe power. And there's maybe projection in the power coming yet. I'm not really sure if he's ever shown it, even in the minors. I think he got yeah, to show I've, I've been, I've been saying that projection of the power thing for three years yeah. now. I'm about ready to throw in the towel there. Right. And that's how, so, that's how Minda, and you can attest to this, that's kind of how the Royals are with Jorge Bonifacio, where you know the, you hear every year, well, there's power in the bat. And he's got maybe average to plus hit tools, so that should bring out the power. Uh, same example we're thinking maybe with Nemo or just kind of future outlook with him. Greg likes him more than me, so I'll let Greg take this. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, he's, he hasn't, he didn't have the best year last year, um, but I think a lot of it has to do with injuries. Um, he's had some, throughout his career, he's, he had a hand injury a couple years ago, and then last year he uh, suffered a knee injury that kind of slowed down his season. Um, so I still think that there's some potential there, um, but you, you kind of are getting to the point where you kind of want to see it on the field before you can you know, say that it might come eventually. Yeah. But, you know, that said, he's, he's finished the season in AAA. Um, you know, if, if he comes back this year healthy, um, he still can profile as, as a center fielder from what I understand. And, you know, there's still, still, there's still hope there, as there always is with these minor leaguers. But, uh, you know, time's running out with him, I'd say. Yeah, and speaking of kind of prospects, his power is maybe hopefully emerging. I think we saw a bit of it with Dom Smith here. I, I'm sure you guys saw that question coming. Um with Dom I, was, Smith. I was hoping it wouldn't, but okay. Yeah, sorry. I got to talk about Don Smith because he was a guy that I, I wanted. The, the Royals chose Hunter Dozier and Sean Manaya, um essentially over Dom Smith, and I was a big Dom Smith fan um, as far as prep bats go. You've you, you got to be a really dominant uh, prep bat if you're going to be a first base prep bat in the first round there. And Dom Smith was a really high name one. Uh, results haven't quite come along. I think he actually didn't do too bad in high A for the limited time he was there this year. Um Still kind of, you know, if he has to move from first, you know, he, is there an alternate besides first where the bat has to play for Dom Smith, do we think? He's a first baseman only. Okay. There's, there's no way you're putting him in a corner outfield spot. Okay. And so, you know, we hear about the future projection with him, and he's got a great hit tool. I think at, you know, at the end, he, we're looking at, you know, hopefully a plus hit tool. The power as well. I mean, are there signs of that coming as all as well, or what do we think there? I mean, I've, I've, seen, I've seen a lot of Dominic Smith over the last two years, and you're right. He has he has bat to ball skill that you cannot teach. Um, 
He has good feel with the bat head. It's very instinctive. He he's very good going the opposite way. But you know, it's a high school first baseman. You gotta hit a lot. Yeah. And not just like a two eighty plus hitter. You have to hit a lot. Uh, and the body hasn't matured well over the last couple of years. He probably needs to lose about 25 pounds at this point, given his profile. Um, everyone sort of hangs their hat on sort of the, the James Loney comp for him, which I don't think is a great comp for a variety of reasons. Uh, Loney was much bigger. I mean, Dom Smith is, is six foot, probably. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and you just don't see Major League First basemen that look like that. Uh, you know, Toby Hyde, who writes for SNY and was the voice of the Sand Nats, saw him a lot last year and keeps throwing sort of the Derek Barton comp on him. It's sort of a guy that gets to the majors but isn't an impact bat there. And I, I know he's lighting up the Arizona Fall League right now, and I know he's going to make offseason national top 100 lists, probably even some top 50s. It's just I don't love the profile. I just don't see the power coming. I think as soon as he starts to see next year in double A, plus fastballs on the inside part of the plate. He's going to get beat inside with that swing. He's never shown me even plus raw in batting practice. And I've seen a few of his VPs now. I just, I can't, and maybe he proves me wrong, but it's, I think he's me one of the more overrated guys on Mets prospect list this offseason. Sure. And the now that I said that, I'm hopefully nobody that follows the Mets will listen to this show. <laughs> I'm going to hear about it. And I was wondering, I was thinking the body, you know, I, I remember him being a little squattier in high school, uh, but I was wondering, you know, the body probably might get out of control or at least needs to maybe shed some pounds there. Um, what's going on with Rafael Montero? I was a big Montero believer as a number three. I know he had a shoulder injury, um, but I totally lost track of what's going on with him. What's the latest news on him? At least you know the past couple months, or if there is any. Well, according to the according to the Mets, he has a quote unquote shoulder injury. So there is some weird stuff going on there. Um, at, at one point, I guess Terry Collins went down there to have a talk with him about how his rehab is going which came out publicly, so I can say that should almost never come out publicly unless yeah. a team thinks he was dogging rehab, which it's very clear they think he was dogging rehab. And I know it was an issue for certain other players this year and in the past. Uh, there was a very famous, I think, Frank Francisco anecdote from that a couple of years ago. But, you know, in a perfect world, he comes to spring training healthy next year. I haven't seen any sign of him in winter ball yet. He does have a winter ball team he throws with. Uh, in the Dominican, I forget who. Something I should again. This is a problem with like the team being in the World Series. Yeah. I don't have time to start any of my <laughs> off-season projects, like finding out where guys are in winter ball. Um, but you know, he should be competing for a spot next year, whether it's in the the pen or the rotation. Assuming the shoulder gets back healthy, you know, I heard he was you know eighty-eight to ninety-one towards the end of rehab, which is not good. I mean, he's a guy that has to sort of live in the low nineties to survive because it's not. You know, it's a, he's a command and control guy. He doesn't really have a wipeout secondary. You know, I like the profile too, but uh, shoulders are funky. When shoulders go, I've seen you know, prospects just sort of mysteriously lose five miles an hour and just never comes back, and you never really know why. I don't know if that's what's happening with him or not, but I think he's going to have a very sort of uphill climb within the organization because I think his stock has dropped in their eyes. Yeah, we can confirm he still has a shoulder, though, right? Yeah, as far as I know. Okay, so that's so we just know it's injured. We can confirm the existence of it. Um, and kind of maybe last touch on like a minor leaguer, um, I also, for, for completely the wrong reasons, 
I did like Cesar Puello a little bit. Obviously, he's got a checkered <laughs> past. Another amazing Avenue Audio favorite. Good. Yes. Is he really? I figured everybody in the Mets organization, I, it'd be split. It's either, you know, Mets fans either hate Puello or they love him because they, you know, they saw what he did on maybe illegal terms, uh, his really good season. What's the outlook on him? Uh, and they outright released him in August. Oh, did they? Well, yeah, I so don't think he's not picked good. up. So I, I, I got to take you back to how far back do we need to go with this, Greg? <laughs> Let's just go back to the beginning of the season. He was he was out of options. So he didn't have to make the major league roster or be exposed to waivers. And they kept him around really until the end of spring training. And I think after signing John Mayberry Jr. this offseason, they were really looking towards Mayberry as their sort of fourth, fifth outfielder, right-handed platoon guy for, for Duda and Granderson as needed, which would have been the role that Pueyo would have been best suited for, I think, sort of immediately on the 2015 team. So he was exposed to they, they ended up uh, optioning him, which means he had to go through waivers. And he cleared, but then there was some sort of shenanigans where he got pulled back with a back injury and I guess they did an MRI and found something. So the Mets put him on the 60-day DL. And then really nothing happened for months and months and months. That was it. I was, I, I was down in St. Lucie watching a GCL game in July, and he was sitting there eating sunflower seeds on the bench with some other rehabbing dudes. And then they outright released him. So when I say they've had an issue before with people dogging rehab, Pueyo <laughs> might have been one of those guys. Okay. But yeah, we talked about him for years. I think all of us wanted him to get a extended extended look on the major league roster at some point, just because he has more tools than anybody probably currently in the system. I guess Desmond Lindsay, who they drafted this year, would be comparable. But I, I mean, it was legit. I saw a lot of him in Binghamton, and yes, yes, I know Biogenesis. Biogenesis was shut down the previous summer, essentially, so he wouldn't have been getting any stuff for that year. We still don't know what he got. He paid his 50 games. I can't really get excited about that stuff. Yeah. But I did get excited about seeing him in Binghamton. It was a, it was a, you know, a plus power, plus run, plus arm right fielder that started to develop some approach, started to get a little better feel for the strike zone as the season went on. was still very raw. Um, he had some injury issues in 2014 in Vegas, a concussion that wasn't really handled particularly well by anyone. And just sort of, I just like he's one of those guys that just lost favor in the organization. And when you're that level of prospect, that's the kind of stuff that can happen. Yeah, and exactly. And I, you know, he's kind of just sitting out there in the in the kind of wire, waiting to be picked up, essentially. But it seems like, I mean, the Mets completely have, you know, uh, set sail on that. That's never coming back. I mean, would you yeah, be that, surprised? That, that, that ship is sailed. You know, and honestly, I I think he'll probably pick up somewhere but teams talk to each other i think if there is a if there is more to the story and i imagine there is more to the story teams have There's that information story. Yeah. Um, so we'll see but you know he's a guy that could help i think i made a joke the first time he cleared waivers back in april that he was probably the second best outfield option for the phillies <laughs> at that point and they're yeah. running out like sizemore and uh dom brown and Who's gone I mean, now? You know, just tool, got tool, waived yeah, as well. Yeah, tools eventually get picked up. Yeah, because of when they released him, nobody's really probably going to try to grab him and add him to their forty in August because they have to carry him all off season. He'll probably pop up as a if he has a good winter ball again. He plays. I don't know who he plays for. He plays for Toros del Este in uh, 
in the Dominican. If he has a good winter ball, somebody will give him a give him a shot at camp in the spring. Yeah, and kind of speaking about field options, um, Granderson, you know, had his first. Maybe not. It's been years. I think I'm pretty comfortable saying it's been years before he's, since he's had a really big year. And I think he was a five win player. Or so according to Fangraphs, I sorry, I, I always quote Fangraphs instead of BP. Jeffrey, it's about uh, the it's about the same as uh, yeah. It's the same in all three war metrics. What did he do? What did he do differently this year? And I don't think he did a ton differently. It just worked. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he had a really bad April in 2014, and that skewed his season numbers somewhat. But he really took to the leadoff role. Um, that's still like City Field's still a park. If you're a, if you can yank balls down the right field line for all the talk about how much of a pitcher's park it is, you can get balls out. You can you know it's not Yankee Stadium, obviously. That Granderson had to you know didn't have that short as short a porch to shoot for. But you can you know sneak twenty home run seasons out there. I think as a as a pull power lefty guy in that park, and you know he. He just ground out at bats after at bat. It became a, like a, almost a running joke on Mets Twitter, like the daily Granderson walk against like a tough lefty. He'd fall behind 0-2, get it back to 3-2 and work a walk or get a big hit. It's just he doesn't get talked about a ton because he was just sort of consistent throughout the entire season. Yeah. He was their leadoff hitter. He didn't have a big run like Cespedes did. He doesn't have sort of the light tower power that Lucas Duda can show. He just kind of... Did his thing. It was also a lot of that's fueled by really, really good defensive numbers yeah. in right field that were not there in in 2014 because his arm is not good. But and Greg can back me up on this. For some reason, teams stopped running on Granderson this year. Yeah, it's just very strange. <laughs> I was going to say that you know a lot of the value that he's added this year, it, you know, didn't just come from the bat. He's been so much better in the field and. It's just been it's been kind of baffling to see teams just not challenge that arm, especially you know from right field going first to third. Um, they just haven't been testing him, and I haven't actually seen his arm improve that much. It's just that it hasn't the opportunities. I guess just have not showed up. I think um, he's a good he's a good defender in a corner generally at this point in his career. Like his range is fine, his instincts are fine. Like he's a, still a very good athletic outfielder, and it's right field, so whatever. But. It's it's just been one of those weird things. But I do think he has made genuine offensive improvements, and he's really been a big, uh, big factor at the top of the lineup. Yeah, and he, I mean, he was last year. What he was a thirty one year one win player. You know, he got forty five million left on the deal. Does that contract uh, kind of looks like maybe the remaining thirty millions? Not you know, not such a uh, around the neck there. Yeah, I think he can probably be again. It's. The skill set he's showing right now, the type of player he is at the moment, should age all right, I think. I mean, if the bat speed goes and they can start beating him with fastballs, then, you know, that's that. But he's only 34. It's not, he's not crazy old. Uh, you know, most of the projection systems I've seen have him, you know, as a little bit down offensively from this year, but still an above average offensive player. You know, he's outside of the season, he missed. Uh, with the Yankees in 2013 to a couple of freak injuries, he's an incredibly durable player for his career. And there's value in that to being able to go out there every day. Could he put together a couple more three-win seasons on the back end of that contract? Yeah, I think, I think it's, it's certainly possible, possible at this point. point. And you want to talk about guys that are good clubhouse guys, and Chris Ranson, it's amazing. What's up with his posture, though? He always looks like he's hunched over. It's, it's, it's disturbing. Do you think he'll ever straighten up? I don't. I don't care as long as he uh, 
he's putting up five win seasons. Yeah. Yeah, he could stand on his head if he's putting up five win seasons. Oh, that'd be cool. You should do that. Are you guys happy that Ike Davis – I know it's been a year or two, but are you guys happy that Ike <laughs> Davis is gone? I've, I've, I've yet to talk to a Mets fan in, like, years, and so this is the first time I've got to ask. Are you happy that Ike Davis is gone? I think they made the right decision, and I mean, I agreed with it at the time. Uh, I thought there was a little bit more upside with Duda. Um, Ike Davis was a very frustrating player to watch just because uh, it was just – Endlessly just rolling over, you know, soft, off-speed pitches. You know, rolling it over to the right side, and, and he's always complaining to the, the umpire and things like that. So, I mean, I wish that he'd worked out. I mean, I don't wish bad things upon him. Yeah. I'm glad he. I'm glad he glommed on. To, you know, I think he was with the A's this year, so I don't wish bad things upon him. But um, yeah, he's, he's. I don't miss him. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I guess the question is: Is Zach Thornton more valuable than? Uh, Ike Davis to the organization. I think the Mets agree that he is probably there. So yeah, at that time they had Duda and, and Davis, and they were both you know kind of redundant. Um, so they really did were kind of forced into making a decision there. And um, mm-hmm. I, yeah, I'd rather have those those assets. Um, I, I think they also have a, they had another low end prospect and Blake Taylor. Yeah, they got Blake um, Taylor who just had Tommy John too. Yeah, so, so I mean. I think the biggest, redundant, the so. biggest, the biggest win in that deal was getting Lucas Duda out of a corner outfield position. Yeah. Uh, and so, with the Mets in the playoffs this year, I mean, let's say Murphy isn't good or Cespedes doesn't have a great run in this World Series. What's going to carry or, or what's maybe what's the fallback on those guys? You know, you hear a lot about how good Murphy was this, this postseason, and even the the front four there. Um, is that what's going to have to carry them for the most part? I mean, even if Murphy can't recreate what he's done, it, it seems like it's going to fall upon the rotation to, to really push through to, to lock us in because there's maybe not necessarily other parts to go for that. Yeah, I think the starting pitching is a table stakes here. They have to get into the sixth inning with a lead every game because the Royals' bullpen scares the crap out of me. Uh, so that's going to have to be something that happens. They're going to have to get... Decent length from their starters, too, because the middle relief options outside of Bartolo aren't particularly enticing to me. And they're going to need to hit the Royals pitching. And I think for that, you got to look. If it's not Murphy or Cespedes, which is certainly possible that Murphy will eventually cool down. I mean, if, if he keeps this up, I'm fine with that. But I think probably you got to look at Lucas Duda and Michael Conforto are the two names there. Both lefties, both uh, pretty big platoon splits. So Duda hit, Duda hit lefties well this year. And Duda's a guy, you know, before the trade for Cespedes, he had hit something like nine home runs in eight days at the end of July. He's the kind of guy that can go off for a week and just, you know, find you two or three RBIs a game, a big bomb here and there. Uh, you know, he had, he had a home run and two doubles in their clincher against the Cubs. If he starts to get right, and he looked really bad the last week of the season and the first week of the playoffs, but if they get him right in the middle of that lineup, you know, he's a guy that can definitely driving some big runs for this team. And yeah, were, I would say, yeah, I, would, I would add, that, I'm sorry, I just would add that it, the lineup actually is pretty fairly deep for the Mets at this point. After all the additions that they've made and all the guys that came back from the uh, disabled list, you know, with Wright and Darno um, and, you know, promoting Conforto is, is that they do have some length. So I don't think it, the, you know, the, the burden falls on just one or two guys um, to produce for them. I think they do have solid length in that lineup. And what's the book on? And I'm 
I think if you ask anybody in the Royals fandom who hates Ned Yost the most, it's probably me. Matt, Minda, do you guys agree with that? No, I tell you. Okay. Yep. I, I mean, I, I think I'm the most heated anti Yost fan. What's the book on Collins? Is he? I, he's kind of an older guy, and I know that he wants to retire soon. Um, is he really by the book traditionalist, or kind of is there something he maybe does right, does wrong, or maybe an overall characteristic of him? Jeez. Um. <laughs> he's he's a tradition. I mean, I would. He's not. He is. He is uh, very Joe much a, out there. He is very much a traditionalist. There's actually a great Mark Craig piece on him uh, in Newsday from sort of the stretch run right before the playoffs. It sort of delves into him a little bit deeper. But he is very much a traditionalist. He's a baseball lifer, and he started to make adjustments because yeah. this is. I don't want to say everyone overplays like this is a forward thinking front office it's sandy alderson by current gm standards is fairly conservative you know all his his highest ranking people came up through scouting circles you know tommy tanis paul de podesta jp ricciardi all have a scouting background it's where they started in baseball so it's not you know it's sort of the new wave of like 32 year old harvard gms but there is certainly they do lean on analytics heavily and that's not really collins's thing he does like to chase the platoon advantage too much. He has his guys, certainly, that he overplays. It's not as much of an issue with the shorter rosters in the postseason, but during the regular season, a lot of Eric Campbell, a lot of Bobby Parnell, whose arm wasn't quite right in high-leverage situations out of the pen. Uh, he bunts too much, and the Mets are terrible bunters. Uh, like he sat Michael Conforto against lefties when he might not be the worst option there. We just don't know, but he's been a very good hitter. You know, he's for a guy that came up as sort of their field coordinator. That was his job with the Mets before he was made manager. He's not as open to playing rookies as you would expect. He kind of jerked Wilmer Flores around when he was first up. Dilson Herrera didn't always get regular playing time when he was up this season. But at the end of the day, it's I don't know. I don't know if Greg agrees with me on this or not. It, Terry Collins has just kind of won me over. Oh yeah. I mean, the team's in the World Series, so you can't... It's, it's yeah. been incredibly frustrating to get there, but he, he kept these guys playing, I think especially in June and July, when it was falling apart around them. They were averaging like three and a half runs a game. They were the worst offense in the National League, and they just kept going out there every day and trying to grind out 3-2 wins. And those wins count, and, and those wins ended up mattering when they did finally get Suspedis and Uribe and Kelly Johnson, and the lineup took off in August. Sounds eerily familiar from last season. Yeah, with the Royals, right? Yeah. Uh, and one thing with kind of that I was reading about is that, you know, the Mets were basically dead last in stolen bases. And then you see this postseason, they've all, you know, they started running again. And you think about crucial stolen bases is the, the suspended stolen base to third in that last, uh, that final Cubs game. Um, is that kind of a, an instance of Collins changing course in the playoffs? Kind of, and Yost has spoken this, how he feels like he wants to manage the playoffs different than he wants to manage the regular season, which of course makes sense, uh, but is Collins adapting well enough or are they getting by just on pure talent do you think? Well, I think I haven't gone back and done the most recent numbers, but I think before the last two games of the Cubs series they had something like two innings in the playoffs thrown by pitchers that weren't starters for them this year or Jair's Familia. Yeah. So that would include uh, Bartolo Colon and John Neese, along with their, their four playoff starters. He's basically getting the ball into the hands 
of his best pitchers as much as possible, right. which I think is all you can really ask. Makes you know, sense, his yeah. lineups have been pretty, pretty by the book. Outside of platooning, essentially uh, Conforto and Juan Lagares at this point, I don't, I don't see any major changes. I think it's just everything. Every button he pushes is working right now, and sometimes that happens for two weeks. Uh, speaking of Eurus Familia, I, I mean a ton is made of the back end of the Royals bullpen and kind of the security that Yost has there. Um, Interested to see, hear how you guys feel with uh, Familia coming into the game because I know he's he's got that great slider working now and uh, and he's had a pretty pretty good season. Is is there a, is he in the circle of trust there in in New York? Uh, oh, I would. I mean, I, I think I'm speaking for both of us when I say that. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, he uh, he was he was kind of pushed into this uh, closer role this year uh, because of a couple of. Because of Mejia having an injury and then also being suspended, um, and he did really well with it. Um, and then he kind of, kind of maybe mid-season he kind of hit the skids a little bit. Um, but then he added a splitter to his repertoire. Uh, he throws it about 93, 94 miles an hour, and it's just a wipeout pitch. And so now he has an arsenal where he throws a you know a high, high 90s sinker. He's got the low 90s slider, and he's got this splitter. And he's just been he's just been unbelievable. I mean, at least in as long as I can remember, this is the most comfortable I've ever felt in the ninth inning, and I should probably knock on wood right now, but that's just how I feel right now. And he I mean, was he, my, he, oh, we grew ahead. up watching we yeah. grew up watching John Franco and Armando Benitez, so <laughs> the bar is pretty low there. And Familia was a uh, he was a starter in the minor for several years, wasn't he, before they kind of that thankfully banished him to the bullpen, which is great. But he he was a pretty unsuccessful starter, if I'm recalling right. I mean, he was a starting he was basically a starting pitcher for his entire minor league career. Right. Um, okay. Like up in, I mean, he started a full year in Buffalo, and that was their AAA affiliate. You know, he was a uh, he made one. I think he made a couple. One year he made a couple top 100 lists as like a back end top 100 guy after a, a good season in Binghamton, but. It was always sort of like, well, if the changeup gets there, he's got the big body starters build, but you know, as a starting pitching prospect, he was like ninety four to ninety six, sort of a more of a humpy slider, slurvy thing, and sort of a changeup that was never quite there. And he was basically a two pitch guy out of the pen last year. The slider started to tighten up under Dan Worthen. Uh, my concern coming into the season was just he had such a bad split against lefties, and that's something you expect, I think, with a two seamer slider guy. Because you, if you're not, unless you're back footing everything, you know this goes right in sort of the low and in happy place too much. But he added that split now, and he throws it almost exclusively against lefties, and it's just brutal. And like from the day he debuted, it was a probably a seventy grade splitter, and I might even go eight at this point. I mean, he's it's a legitimately scary arsenal. Like I don't know how anybody. I'm sure you guys feel the same way about Wade Davis. I don't know how anybody squares him up ever. I don't uh, know how any wife. hitters ever hit any balls that pitchers throw, period. Because I have oh, tried myself, and it's impossible. I will say my concern with Familia is he has been used very heavily in the playoffs. Uh, the five days off are going to help, but I, I think he pitched in seven of the nine games. He pitched multiple innings in a lot of those outings. He pitched back-to-back days in a lot of those outings. He's thrown a lot of innings this year, generally. The stuff is down a little bit velocity-wise from where it was maybe two months ago. Some of that might just be weather. You know, it was pretty cold in in New York and Chicago, and that was when it was especially noticeable. The fastball was more like ninety five to ninety seven, which is still plenty with the movement he gets on it as a two seamer. But 
you know, we're used to seeing 97 to 99. But yeah, he's going to be the guy. And I think Collins will continue to lean as heavily on him as he can to get the last three to six outs in these games. And uh, interested to hear your thoughts on on Clippard as well. I know I'm when he when he they dealt terrifies from him. me because <laughs> when they dealt from I kind of expected him to take over the closing duties. Just I mean based on his record um, in previous season, he'd been pretty great for a few years. And uh, I, so he terrifies you. Maybe just talk a little bit about uh, the season he's had since since joining the Mets. Well, I get. I mean, we saw him a lot of the Nationals when he was there and he was he's very he was a very good pitcher then very good late inning reliever plus fastball wipeout changeup. it's in the peripherals have gone downhill this year but he's always been a guy that's been able to outperform his peripherals because he gets really weak fly ball contact a lot of pop-ups a lot of sort of shallow little donks guys out in front of the changeup, sort of dumping little pops into shallow left field that kind of stuff it's just actually having to watch it day in and day out when he's throwing these like 91 mile an hour fastballs and he's like high 82 mile an hour changeups in every count and you get how it works like you immediately understand that okay it's not elite stuff anymore but the, the changeup looks exactly the same coming out of the hand as the fastball you can even tell that from tv you don't need to be behind, be behind home plate or anything but it's just seeing him it's a one-trick pony and seeing him do it over and over again terrifies me because when it doesn't work the ball goes 450 feet and it's been doing that a lot lately. Yeah, that was also yeah. And listeners take note: Clippert is another failed starter turned reliever. It's almost like the best relievers are failed starters. I, I, you know, it's a pattern. Obviously, of course, sarcastically says that. But uh, so, how are Yankees fans taking this? You know, usually you hear them kind of gloat, but have you guys run across you know any fans who say like, "Well, twenty-seven championships, we don't care about this one," or do you kind of get a gloat a bit to them? Very good native New Yorker, so I'll. Uh... Yeah, well, no, I, it, the only time I really bump into it is in the office, and uh, they they seem kind of, I guess it's an unusual position for them, so they keep, seem kind of bitter, which is which is strange, and they're they think that I'm kind of walking around with a little bit of a swagger when I'm just I'm just walking around, you know, just like a normal guy, you know, it's it's I, I'm not doing anything different, but uh, you can tell it bothers them. Because they like their position as, as like you said earlier, the bigger brother or whatever. Although I, I kind of shudder at that. I agree. Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, it, it's very sweet um, from our perspective. It, it feels really good. I'm wearing my Mets hat around uh, the city all the time, and it just feels different, you know, when I'm wearing it now than I did, uh, you know, over the past few years. Yeah, and Royals fans are kind of nice to get off this night against. Uh, um, Cardinals fans a bit, but uh, anyway, so fellas, stay, thanks for coming on. Um, a, it should be hopefully a good series. Hopefully it's only four games long and the Royals are done by, in good news, the Royals are done by what would be Saturday. Um, otherwise, uh, you know, it, I'm not happy to go to New York. I'd uh, love to, to just finish two games in New York, but uh, should be good. Uh, fellas, any kind of last words you've got for us or kind of anything we didn't touch upon that you want Royals fans to kind of know about the Mets? Uh, you should all. Uh, if you want to get the full Jay Harris Philly experience, you should go listen to his uh, entrance music, which is going to become a uh, a fan favorite. It's called "Danza Kuduro by uh, Don Omar. Nice. You might you might have seen it in Fast Five. I think it's in there. <laughs> I'm gonna link. I'll link to that in uh, the the write up for this. Uh, Minda Matt. I, I, Minda, I, I know you're the, the quiet of the bunch. Did you? I didn't mean to talk over you. Did you have any good questions for these fellas? 
I didn't have any good questions, nor I, really any bad questions. I'm just uh, listening and learning. You didn't have any questions because I covered everything you wanted to talk about, right? Absolutely, yeah, Sean. I, credit to me. <laughs> as usual, the, ho- the co-host, uh, as normal. So good. So you guys can follow, uh, and I obviously uh, implore you to do so. You guys can follow Greg on uh, Twitter. We always do Twitter shout-outs on Rosary Radio. Uh, Greg Karam, K-A-R-A-M, uh, one word. Uh, Greg Rank your Twitter on one to ten scale. How, how how Twitter active are you, and how good are the tweets? No, well, no, no. Oh. Twenty eighty scale. Twenty yeah, duh. Uh, Twenty eighty scale. Oh, I'm a twenty eighty. I'm about a thirty uh, Twitterer. That's about right. Uh, He's not a good tweeter. <laughs> okay, I'm not a great tweeter. <laughs> so maybe don't follow Greg on Twitter. Yeah, don't follow me. <laughs> uh, follow somebody else. Hey, follow uh, follow Jeffrey, who has his own Twitter. It it goes by Jeff J E F F P A T E R N O S T R. Oh, Paternostro. And what's the origin of that last name, if you don't mind me asking? It's Italian for Italian. our father. Figured so. How, now you've got to grade your Twitter. I'm a pretty good tweeter. I'm yeah. not going to lie. I'm pretty good on the Twitter. Uh, unfortunately, it's, it's one of those things where it gets – there's a lot of second division soccer tweeting. There's a fair amount of wrestling tweeting. Um, I didn't think what else I tweet about. It's not baseball. Other than that, it's mostly yelling about Mets games. But I'm probably too active on yeah. Twitter. I tweet, I tweet too much. Uh, yeah. But I would say I'm probably a plus Twitter. Er. What? Uh, and I, I meant to ask you earlier. Uh, did you work under you know famed prospect guru uh, Jason Parks, or were you post Parks? Period. I am post Parks. Post Parks. Okay. Yes. Good. I was going to see how he's doing. I know he's loving being with the Cubs. I'd imagine, but it. I I I can say this now because the season's over. Yeah, I, I ran into him this year. Yeah, I know, I know Jason pretty well, so we uh, definitely had some long off the record conversations in hotel bars about things. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> as you as you do on the road, I, I would figure. And he, because then I was I was kind of crying on Twitter. It's kind of we lost Parks, then we just lost Kylie. For us non you know folks that don't write for prospect websites necessarily, we lost uh, Kylie McDaniel recently too to the Braves. So it's kind of. They're taking all of our good prospect writers. Is that something maybe – are you interested in that eventually? I mean, you know, if, if the Mets – or even if not the Mets, if somebody else came along and said, hey, come be a scout for us, would you consider that, you think? Or do you kind of like your position now with what you're I doing? I kind of like my position now. I'm not going to say no to a team job necessarily yeah. if it came along. I find it unlikely that it will come along, Yeah. Uh, at least not in the next year or two. So I don't really worry about that. I just – you know, I do my thing. I get in my car. I go where I go. I file what I file. I'm not really looking for yeah. – Anything like that? It's like it's you know it's a pay cut. People don't realize it. Yeah. It's like yeah, definitely. Like my wife is doing sort of the you know follow your dream and not make much money job. <laughs> one of us has to do the the real one. Yeah. What's who's next to go? Who's who's the next brightest? There's a lot of bright minds at BP, but maybe um, who do you think's next? If you could speculate, if you want to speculate, you I, don't have to. I mean, I wouldn't be shocked if Al Scroop gets a gets a team job this winter. He's he he makes me look like. Super hashtag slack. He's always at games. I always run into him because he's always at games. Like he, amateur, pro, anywhere in New England. Like if there's a high school kid in Connecticut that might go in the eighth round in the draft, he's there. Like watching him on yeah. some terrible high school field. He works harder than anybody <laughs> else I know in the business right now. So great Twitter follow as well for listeners. If you want to follow Al, I certainly do. Um, okay, good fellas. Thanks for coming on. Good luck to you guys in the next, you know, like I said, hopefully only four, but possibly seven games. Um, 
Rose of you listeners, uh, Minda, Matt, and I are going to talk after this great music break. I'm, I don't know who, what artists we're going to play, but I'll make sure it's uh, a great song. So awesome, Jeff, Greg, thanks for having you guys on. Uh, you fellas have a, uh, have a good evening. Thanks for having us. Thanks. thanks. Welcome back to World of Radio. I'm your usual co-host, still here, uh, without Matthew Lamar. Um, I've joined. They didn't leave us. They're not really joining as far as they're just still hanging in there, um, like the cat from the poster. Uh, Matthew, Jackson, Matt, uh, you still okay? You still doing all right? Yeah, man, I'm here. You, you're not making me sound very cool for not having anything else to do, but that's, that's all right. Let's well, get it on. Yeah, and then we've got Minda. Uh, still married, right, Minda? Between the break, you didn't get divorced? <laughs> nope, okay. nope. Okay. Still, uh, Good. still here. Good. Assuming this bit goes after the Mets bit. I think I have to. I think I just pigeonholed us into doing it now that they won't get the joke if they don't, if they hear this part first. So if you're listening, Emilia Reyes, Emilia Reyes, race, media race, I think is the, the, uh, literature term. Start at the beginning. Don't start from here. Start at the beginning. Um, so let's segue on, uh, the Royals. Back-to-back ALCS champions. What are we doing? What What's that all about? That's kind of great, isn't it, guys? It's a glorious time to be free. Yeah. Minda, yeah. are you pretty pumped? I, I am. It took a while to really, really hit me uh, until I was actually in the car driving to Walgreens the next day. And I just was like, <laughs> oh, wait, holy crap, what? Did you have to what? pull over? Yeah. I probably like I should have. I should have, but I I just soldiered on through my incredulity. And I just I stayed up until like two thirty in the morning just reading tweets. And, Me too. And emails yeah. and uh, stories. I was just I was so pumped and did not see this coming at the beginning of the year. So it was it was pretty exciting. I went out to Westport immediately after and started drinking a ton of alcohol and high-fived a lot of Royals fans. Um, hey, you went out in public. What kind of blogger are you? Oh, I kept my blogging presence still known. Uh, it, I was on Twitter all night just posting GIFs. GIFs, GIFs. I posted way too many GIFs. Um, <laughs> that I, Just insane amount of GIFs. I dared not leave my Toronto condominium for fear of oh. physical violence. Oh. Speaking of that, and you were at Game 5? Was it Game 5? No. Game 4. Game 4. Yeah, fourteen two. Fourteen to two. Tell me how that atmosphere was. Toronto it had to have been quiet. I mean, what was that like? Ah, uh, so well, when I, at the start of the game, it was insane. Like the place, they were ready to oh, blow the yeah. roof off the dome. Um, I actually had some Royals fans sitting just a couple seats over from me, so we, you know, gave each other knowing looks and introduced ourselves, and and uh, we were, you know, just kind of staying in our lane as the game started, and then. Um, when Zobrist hit that that first home run, I was up, both hands in the air. Every it seemed like every other person in the stadium was sitting down, and I was just looking around and just making hard eye contact with everyone that I could see. And then I turned, and the Royals fans next to me were sitting down, and I was like, "Zobrist hit it out." I don't know if you saw it. Went in the, 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 over the fence. Get up! And the guy just put his finger to his lips and. and in, in almost to shush me. He was, I think he was a little bit afraid of what was going to happen. I noticed later that his wife, um, I think was pregnant. So maybe he just didn't want to stir up any trouble yeah. with, you know, with her there in that con- condition, which I completely understand. But, um, 
I just the whole time I was I was just through the roof. It was a, it was an awesome game, most fun I've ever had in a ballpark. By yeah, far. and uh, I imagine because one of my one of my best friends lives up in Toronto for uh, he goes to Toronto University. I think he's a philosophy guy up there, and he he said that it. I think he said that Toronto fans were not very happy, especially when he went into school the next day. They he's definitely. Uh, Hockey started again, if, if, <laughs> is what it sounds like there. Well, it was, so, I mean, the game was closer than it seemed for a lot of it. I mean, the Royals were just out hitting them, but it was 5-2 until they, for some reason, brought Latroy Hawkins in, and he just lit the mound on fire, and then Tapara came in, and he, the game was sunk. And at that point, it was just kind of, um, you know, everyone had two beers in their hands, and uh, I don't remember if it was too late to get more, possibly. But it, people were just, you know, getting drunk and sad and um they weren't you know they weren't upset with me at all we had perfectly civil conversations about the game and uh and good ones they were just kind of they were resigned to the fate that night and possibly the series so um i didn't gloat too much once the game was out of hand i just uh i just i just enjoyed myself so much yeah yeah and and yeah with game five um which obviously was not the best game uh, of the series, it you know started off okay and then kind of went downhill from there. Uh, Matt, you weren't in you were in Toronto, but you didn't go to that game, right? No, I didn't make. I, I take full responsibility for that one. Um, yeah, that game that was tough. I mean, I um, I'm not a rational fan. I, I can admit that when the Royals are going bad, I feel like they're never going to score another run ever. Um, and that that was the uh, that was the game too where. Um, Bautista drew the walk on yeah. that kind of controversial pitch that you you outlined pretty extensively in your piece. Yeah, not too happy about. Well, not that I, you know, I feel like in writing has kind of turned me into this that I'm much more um, much more objective than subjective kind of now maybe as a writer and especially with prospects I try to do that even though uh, still a bit of fan base can sometimes come through. Um, but yeah, that's one of those where I mean. In the modern game, it was a strike, but in the rule book, it wasn't a strike. And that's one of those where it wasn't quite 50-50 call necessarily, but it was definitely one that um, there's a really not famous saying, but the Cubs broadcasters, they say all the time, they say that um, not saying that it wasn't a strike, just saying, or not saying that it wasn't a ball, just saying it didn't have to be, um, which is kind of a good saying for that pitch right there is that it was a strike, but it was really a strike because there was a ball because the umpire called it a ball, not necessarily because it was a you know clear-cut definition ball. Um, and then, of course, turned the whole kind of series around, uh, especially with, you know, loading the bases, and then, you know, Volquez probably should have been done at that point, though. Everybody agreed that if he really probably should have been done to start the inning, especially with the Jays' kind of main guys coming up, right? Absolutely. I don't know what it is about Volquez that just... Anecdotally, I guess it just seems like he then just loses all sense with Volquez specifically as to when to take him out. Yeah, it was game one too when he had that rough sixth inning. It definitely seems like he's um, he's like the archetype of the times through the order penalty. Yeah, let me see. And I imagine, like all pitchers, he probably does worse, or most pitchers, he does worse uh, third time through the order. But let me see how maybe poorly he does or doesn't do there. But, yeah, I mean, and we were going to talk about this maybe a little bit, but we can kind of dive into a bit now. Um, You know, with Herrera there, 
Ned's kind of got the bullpen at this point set where it goes Herrera, Madsen, um, Davis, uh, which you can kind of argue. You can't argue about Davis, but you can argue between Herrera and Madsen who needs to go first. And it's not necessarily – and this is kind of maybe an issue with Ned in general is that he likes his innings. He likes Herrera in the seventh, Madsen in the eighth, Davis in the ninth, regardless of who it is. I mean it could be – it could be Babe Ruth, Joe DiMaggio, Lou Gehrig all consecutively. And if Madsen, if that happens in the eighth, it's going to be Madsen. However, Herrera probably isn't, he's not as good necessarily this year as Madsen, but historically, I feel like we trust him a bit more, especially when it comes to home runs. Do you and guys he's think got that, that, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Oh, I just, he's got the swing and miss stuff, yeah. like elite swing and miss stuff that Madsen doesn't necessarily. I mean, sw- Madsen gets the case too, but um, I was looking at a tweet earlier. I think it, um, Herrera had the same number of swing and misses as I want to say Matt Harvey over the playoffs so far. Okay. Um, he's in like the top 10 or top 15 swing and misses in the playoffs. I'll, I'll find that tweet um, while you guys are talking, but um, I think especially in those situations where um, you're in a jam or you're facing the the um, the toughest part of the order, you want a guy that's not going to let the ball you know even come and play, and Herrera is your guy when it comes to, to missing bats. So I think, um, you know, maybe not having them married to roles uh quite as much and, and just dictating their usage in the 6th, 7th, and 8th based on who's coming up. is It's got to be the way to go. Amanda, agree? Um, in theory, um, where I stick, though, is that I get that uh, just from the human element kind of thing. Like, if a guy, I don't know, it, it's true that, A, relievers are strange human beings, um, but also they're such extreme like creatures of habit when you know when they can be so if um, if they're assigned that inning it's like that's you know they probably go through their like getting ready process both mentally and physically with that inning in mind yeah. uh, whether or not that's right or the best I don't know but they're the humans on the field and I don't know like I found if, that sorry Minda. No, go for it. I mean, I'm just, I'm totally Lee judging out here, but like, <laughs> I don't know. If, if, if a guy thinks he's the best in this, in the seventh inning, then he's gonna be in, you know, if you put him in some other time and he doesn't feel that that's his inning, I don't know. Maybe there's something to that, but. Yeah. Just don't just, advocate for anyone to be strangled, all right? Uh, not ever. Okay, so um, I found the tweet. It's Darren Willman, um, the guy oh, yeah. that runs um, Baseball Savant, who is a prince. He gives us all the data so we don't have to scrape the files every night. Um, anyway, the um, the top guys go DeGrom, 58, Syndergaard, 42, Arietta 41, Estrada, 40, Granke, 36, Price, 34, and then Herrera and Harvey were both tied with uh, 32 swing and misses hmm. during the playoffs. And, and so, um, I mean, if we're not counting Price as a reliever, uh, then he's the only reliever on the board um, with a bunch of the best starters in baseball. So, right. I mean, he's in a groove right now. I think he should be... He, he, I, if you believe in momentum, and, and the rational side of my brain doesn't, but the um, terrified side of my brain that roots for teams um, during the World Series does, um, he's got to be the guy that's that's uh, coming into those high-leverage situations that aren't Wade Davis land. Yeah, and you know what? And I, and courtesy of Baseball Savant, I ran a quick inquiry on it too. Um, just total, I just pulled up by swinging strikes. So percentage of pitches that are swinging strikes compared to the overall number of pitches, um, which is kind of good on 
you know, it, it's a uh, a stat, a rate stat showing that you know, hey, you know, a guy could throw three hundred pitches if he gets a hundred. Obviously, he's going to get more swinging strikes than some guy who only throws two pitches. But on a percentage basis, Herrera is actually the number one. Um, oh yeah, by far. Yeah, he's got twenty three, roughly twenty three percent of his pitches he's thrown this postseason have all gone for swinging strikes, which is number one. Um, Danny Duffy actually is number two at 22.2 repeating. Um, Get him out there, Ned. So Duffy's been pitching well, and it's a lot of relievers, of course. Um, and then Madsen's way, not way down on the list, but he's he's 16th at 16%. So, yeah, I mean, Herrera's the guy that if you're looking for a strikeout, which you don't put Aaron Crow in as Ned Yost did uh, a couple years back to get the strikeout, which obviously didn't work out. Um, but Herrera's <laughs> been kind of the guy that – you really do want facing, especially against the Blue Jays um, lineup, who very home run heavy. Uh, when they hit fly balls, those fly balls usually go for home runs more than any other team. And Madsen, not that he's home run prone, but Herrera historically, you know, didn't give up a home run last year, um, and didn't give up a home run until like somewhere like halfway through the season. So he's kind of the guy that you know you can have your seventh and eighth innings, but if the seventh inning's coming up where it's the good part of the lineup, you know, uh, one through three or two through four or any kind of manner like that, you probably want Herrera in there. And to put that number, that whiff percentage in context that you just gave, that's like the best pitcher's best pitch yeah. in baseball. That's just, that's insane. Like, if, if you're comparing them to starting pitchers, that's like the best starter's best pitch. Yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> and so, naturally, we're on to game six. And game six was maybe not my favorite game. You know what? It's one of my it was one of my favorite games. Maybe not my favorite, um, but it's up there. I think that game's probably in the top five of all games that I, I may be seen. Maybe top five might be generous, but somewhere in that range. Um, did you guys get to watch uh, all of it, Minda? I know that maybe you didn't get to watch most of it, but you did catch the end, right? Yeah. Uh, long story short, ish. The University of Nebraska Omaha has a really, really, really good hockey team. Uh, number one, actually, <laughs> undefeated and whatnot. Uh, and they played their first game in a brand new arena Friday night. So I was there photographing it. Um, that rain delay was a godsend for me because it allowed me to finish photographing hockey and drive home and got, uh, arrived at my brother's house just in time for the game to resume. So I'm going to credit the late inning uh, awesomeness to my arrival uh, Way to go, yeah, yeah. No more hockey talk. How many times do I have to tell you guys on this podcast we do not talk <laughs> hockey? It's not a sport. Um, yeah, it's two weeks in a row that we've gone hockey. Jeez, I can't stand it. Uh, and uh, so, Matt, where did you uh, watch the game live, or did you? Hell watch? yes. Yeah, I figured so. I watched it with the Jays game at my place. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah, it was. Uh, it was. It was pretty great. You know what I? It, it's super duper credit to Wade Davis. Uh, you know, kind of. They actually, I have MLB Network on, kind of in the background. They they were just showing a recap of the ninth inning, and man, he really wiggled out of that. That I think he had second and third, no outs, and I think a run scores like historically, like they usually get one and a half runs for that whole inning, and he of course gave up zero runs. Um, got kind of lucky, maybe not. Well, maybe not lucky, but. That, Got a little help from the man in black. Right, right. That that Revere pitch uh, might not have been a ball, or might not have been a strike. Probably wasn't a strike. Um, and a, Navarro got a pretty generous call yeah, as well. Yeah, Navarro too. But then both of them, both of them struck out swinging. Right. 
Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, but for for yeah. Revere in that position, you, you've had that call on you. You can't let the next pitch. You can't look at the next pitch that you're you're taking. But man, did you see him go after the uh, garbage can in the dugout? If he put a swing, that's what I'm saying. The yeah, ball like he put on that garbage can, he'd be uh, he'd be another power hitter in that lineup, yeah. and he might lead the team in home runs. That was impressive. He was he, he was he was taking some cuts. Yeah, and that's one of those where it's like, okay, you can complain about ball. To, you know, you can play about strike two, but when strike three is a swinging strike on a junk pitch in the dirt, at that point you kind of lose a little bit of credibility. You're like, okay, sure you laid off probably, you know, ball four, but you also just swung at ball four too, the very next pitch. If I think if it was, I don't know if it was ball three or ball four at that point, but. Would have been ball four. Ball four. Okay. It would have been ball three at that point. It was two and two. Right. Okay. Um, so ball three. Okay. But I, I um,. I don't know. I was pretty conciliatory with my with my Royals th- friends after that game, but I don't think any of them will be listening to this, so I can speak my mind freely. I mean, that's the kind of thing where if you leave it, you're it's an elimination game. You know, you're uh, you're in game six, ready to get eliminated. I mean, that, those are tough calls to take, but yeah. you're in a position where there's just no r- margin for error. So yeah. as much as it's tough to um, to win a game on those calls, the Royals just outplayed them the entire series other than um I'd, uh, other than game five really um so you know I, I think i think the better team still won in in terms of those series i think the jays had a great team overall but um i think we we're also going to talk about the other uh the other the, the other good fortune that the royals had uh amish amish bartman part two i don't remember his name they they say it's not like keith it, anyways my first question is who goes to a baseball game when they're on Rumspringa to begin with? Because, you know, I figured you'd be out partying rather than go to check out Game 5 of the ALCS. But I don't know. I've never been on Rumspringa, so. They don't they don't serve beer at coffee anymore? <laughs> um, no, I, that, was, that was just brutal. I mean, it, That's good. Did you see a lot? I love that he lied, though. I, I, and I'll see if I can um, – I'll probably put those images together, the actual image of where he said he caught the ball and then where he actually got the ball because, I mean, it wasn't even close. I mean, his hand is over the – No, Aaron his Andrews, hand was like – he yeah. might as well have just put his hand above his head and said, I caught yeah. it here. He could have just said, oh, I didn't catch it. It wasn't me. I mean, at the same point. I mean, at that – when you lie that much – and it's great. You know, you can't really – it was actually not too con- – Close as far as what I can recall. I mean, it it wasn't like, oh man, he didn't jump onto the field and catch the ball. I mean, he you know reached over, but no, I think his his I don't think it was conclusive either. Yeah. His glove was clearly moving forward. I don't know when the ball hit his glove, right? Um, but he was stabbing it out there. So whether it hit his glove before and he moved it down over the wall a little bit, or whether he caught it at the lip of the wall and yeah. it would have, you know, um, maybe bounced up um, off the top of the wall and, and been a, a double or ground rule double, even it's really hard to say. Um, but just I, th- I hope this is a message to all Royals fans in attendance. Just you know, keep your hands to yourself. Uh, when you're around the field of play, whether you got your glove or not, uh, let's make sure that it's outside of the uh, of the boundary lines. Yeah, he definitely. I mean, I'm looking at the images right now. He definitely uh, he's got it like right up against the lip of the wall from the backside, and he clearly has it. Over. It's multiple people reach for it too, so it's not like he just happened to be the guy that caught it. But there were at least three or four of the gloves that were handedly reaching over the wall to catch it there. So Yeah, we need some public, public service announcements in the K before game uh, one of the World Series, that's for sure. They used to have... Uh, a light electric shock in the railing. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
they used to have a, an, a, I think a great little public service thing. I don't think they do it on the board anymore, but it was um, on the old Kaufman Crown Vision thing. It had the, they had it for like 10, 15 years. It was the same dorky um, animation thing. Um, one other kind of, maybe not controversial, but one other kind of talking point. Well, there are multiple, um, but one other one was kind of, there was a lot of praise with the um, the Lorenzo Cain scoring from first on what was a Hosmer single. But I think we can all agree that wasn't just a liner up the middle. That's 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 generous calling it a single, right? Uh, well, I, yeah, it I was mean, a single, I, but generous on it's understating that it was a single. It was a well struck single. Yeah, um, and I just I love the uh, the Verducci article that kind of broke down the advanced scouting that um, the advanced scouts and Mike Jersley had done prior to the game, and Jersley knowing that on those balls hit to the left that um, Bautista throws it to second base and, and, you know, had given the base runners the heads up that if if that situation occurred that he'd be sending them. And, I mean, I'm sure that every team has these kind of things that they pick up on, um, but when your team wins because of it, it's just kind of exciting to, to know that, you know, this wasn't just... Um, this wasn't just him making up for not sending Alex Gordon um, the yeah. year before. Not that he should have. I mean, that's not what I'm saying. But um, it's it's exciting to know that he's uh, there's there's a there's a lot of sound logic that's going into these decisions beforehand. And the same thing with uh, with Price tipping the changeup and them knowing that he takes an extra deep breath before he throws the changeup and and letting the hitters know and and that it wasn't Golan's missing. Um, that ball um, that he and Batista were going for that was the key to the inning, but that um, but that you know they were sitting on the changeup and and um, Alex Gordon and Mike Mike Moustakas, uh seemingly knew what pitch was coming to them and it I don't know it's just the kind of thing that as Royals fans we haven't got to look smart in the media very often in the last couple of years um, we have and that's just it, it makes us feel better as people because we cheer for the smart guys. It's weird validation, but I think we all feel it. Yeah, it's good to know it's not, you know, it's not dumb luck and it's not like, you know, Jersh went out and said, oh, yeah, you know, I just, um, I'm afraid to hold runners now, so I sent him. It was just like, you know, to, to know the fine-grained detail and have it broken down like that was pretty sweet. And Ventura was pretty cool in that game. I mean, I'm... I'm I'm perpetually worried every time Ventura takes the mound, um, more so than Cueto. Uh, I know that's maybe backwards of the narrative. I know a lot of people think that um, you know Ventura is the ace of the st- of the rotation, but I, I convincingly think that it's Cueto. But I was pretty pretty impressed by Ventura there. You know he didn't go that super deep in the game, um, but I mean obviously did well well enough as you could ask for him there and. Um, you guys I was, yeah, go ahead. I was just I, with, with a friend of mine at work. We were I was trying to guess what the Harold Reynolds narrative would be, and uh, and my guess was that it was going to be something to do with um, uh, Ventura's emotional level. So I was really watching that during the game, and he was just you could tell he was holding himself back um, when he was walking off the mound. Off the mound after every inning, it just seemed like he was in slow motion, uh, really trying to control his emotions, and uh, and it wasn't until. He chirped at Tulo, I think, um, yeah. that he, he really started to show some emotion. And then that next inning, he, he struggled a little bit. When he was coming off the mound, I just loved him uh, giving uh, giving Leeper what for um, for having chirped him the inning before. And uh, uh, 
it's one of those things where you just want to say, like, stay in your lane, leave. You're, you're a first base coach. There's probably nobody less important than you on the entire field. Yeah, and he did have that, like, kind of swagger walk. Uh, and I, I'll repost the, the gif of it. But, yeah, I, I did kind of screen capture a gif of it there that was it, – it was a very – definitely a, definitely a showboat uh, by Ventura who – Gets a lot of that uh, false narrative where they're thinking, oh, you know, he and Reynolds said this too, how he said the difference between Ventura was he stopped trying to fight everybody, which is not, I think it's an insane narrative. And it goes along with everything we know about Harold Reynolds, who's just not a very uh, good analyst. And calling him an analyst is using that term very loosely. Um, but it seems like we have seen. Oh, the good Ventura, at least in the back half of the season, and definitely in the playoffs, we've really seen the good Ventura, and um, the Royals are thinking about starting him, actually. Or wait, do we know what the rotation is at this point? Or it's been hinted at, right? Yeah, um, McCullough said, uh, he, you know, I'll read the tweet, Yost won't tip his hand on the rotation, but it's likely to be Volquez, Cueto, Ventura, and Young. Um, keep Cueto off the road. So I don't know if that's the order of yeah. the rotation or if that's just the pitchers. It's not alphabetical, so I'm guessing that might be the order. Um, but does it alphabetically? Uh, that that uh, Yos might uh, do that. Um, <laughs> yeah. oh. I, I don't know if you guys read uh, Eno Saris's article on FanGraphs about uh, um, what turned Ventura's season around when he came back up. But he, was, he dropped his arm slot a little bit, and it um, was giving him the. Uh, better movement on his on his pitches, and so it seems like it, it's a mechanical fix that he's had that led to the second half turnaround. So it's not him just stop trying to fight people, or it's not him folding under pressure of the new contract he signed. Maybe he just has is punching fewer people, and that's keeping his arm fresh enough to hit the arm slot he wants. That's probably what it is. Yeah, we don't know what's going on in the dugout. He could be choking people in the dugout, but I, I don't know. That's we'll leave that to, to Ned Yo. So that seems like and the leaving. Cueto for away, and we talked about this, um, you know, before we uh, started doing the podcast tonight. Um, there's a difference. I mean, there's, there's, of course, there's a statistical difference between home and away. Not of course, but there is a difference. Is it a significant enough difference? Is kind of the question. And I think by FIP, um, which kind of helps try to normalize parks, which you know maybe you do or maybe you don't want necessarily, um, but Volquez. Or excuse me, Cueto is is better at home than away. Do we think it's a significant enough difference, though, to you know question? Because Cueto's, I mean, he was brought in to be the number one. He was brought in to start game one of every series if possible. Um, yet they're not even you know going to start him until game three. Do we think it's significant enough, or is it more anecdotal that we think he's not good at home? Or excuse me, uh, only good at home. I mean, if there is a difference, any any difference is probably important enough to consider um, just because it's, you know, it's not playing it out over 162-game season. It's just what, you know, right yeah. now, this game, what sure. can you do? And Matt, I mean, in your opinion, do you think of it like a, what is it, a .3-ish, I think about 30 basis points difference between his FIP at home and away? Do you think that's significant enough to hold him out? Or wouldn't you want to just throw Cueto in as quickly as possible because you want to win that game, as many games uh, early as possible? Yeah, I think he sh- like, um, I think he should be starting game one, personally. Agreed. I mean, I, I, I want him on the mound. I, I, I know he's struggled. I know he had a really, really rough time out his last start. Um, but, you know, this is what we brought him in for. And he, I don't think he became a bad pitcher overnight. And, uh, you know, I understand how 
tough that last one was to watch, but you don't have to look back too far to see that great game that he pitched um, to get us to the LCS. Yeah. So, um, uh, personally, I I don't buy it. I, I still think that um, I still think that he's the guy that we should be running out there. I think uh, you know I Volquez had a pretty good series. If if he starts game one, I you know I'm, I don't hate it. Um, we'll still get two turns through the rotation if this series goes long to see Volquez twice and maybe it'll be more important in a later game I, I don't know all the all the considerations that have gone into it but um, for me um, home road splits no not not too much of an issue and what uh, what did Volquez he pitched on was it Wednesday did he pitch Wednesday yeah uh, yeah Wednesday so he'll go Wednesday to Tuesday and then yeah so Cueto hasn't pitched since last Tuesday so Volquez is pitched more recently than Cueto, um, which was, I was trying to figure out how, you know, if it was, Ventura's not going to pitch on Tuesday because it's a little too short of rest for him. You'd like to give him the full five days, but you think he would start Cueto because Cueto has pitched, you know, uh, more at an earlier date than Volquez has. So that's yeah, kind of I, kind of I, I, I think we just don't know what's going on behind the scenes. I know that... Um, you know, Cueto said that he didn't want to start on short rest. It could be that that was for reason of you know he's got a little something that he's working on. He wants an extra day in the in the trainer's room um, to get something sorted out. So I, I I don't know that this is necessarily a stuff based decision or a confidence based decision. Yeah. It, it could always be a health based decision. He's thrown a lot of innings this year. Yeah. Um, it could it could just be that Volk uh, Volquez is healthier and they're happier to throw him out a little bit earlier. Yeah, because you would think that you'd want. I mean, because if you start your game one starter is ready to pitch by game five, I think, or is it game six? Yeah, no, usually by game six there. Um, so you're guaranteed. You're still kind of guaranteed two Cueto starts, but you get the Cueto start if it goes seven. I mean, uh, but you kind of get the Cueto start earlier. Uh, much how the Rays got, or the Jays got David Price twice. Uh, we're gonna get Volquez twice more than likely, you know, unless it gets a, it's a sweep or a short series, but. You would want to win that game six if it came down to you know needing a game six and a game seven, and Cueto I think gives you your best chance to win that game than what Volquez would. Yeah, it's, there's there's a lot to consider. I just uh, personally I'm I'm not shying away from him um, as a pitcher. I mean, I, as a fan, when the game comes on, yeah, I'll be nervous. But um, it, when I'm thinking rationally about it between games, no, I, I think um, it's it's not you're not just playing him because you dealt for him. You're playing him because he's historically been a great pitcher and one of the best in the league. Yeah. And he didn't forget how to do that. If, if he's right and his body's right, um, I think he can do it again. Amanda, thoughts? I, I agree with that. Um, I, I wasn't advocating for not pitching him. I'm just uh, in pointing out that maybe they're, they're trying to find any teeny tiny edge. I just, you know... Um, I, I would pitch Cueto game one, but I'm, I'm also not horribly offended by Volquez going, um, except then that it makes it odd. It makes it basically forever between Cueto starts, um, and that that's what gives me more pause than anything. Are you... Um, is it too long of rest? Do you, do you secretly hold a grudge against Cueto because he's what's keeping you from seeing a puffier Brandon Finnegan uh, in AAA? <laughs> Yeah, that's true. I do miss my, my and John Lamb, and, and yeah, and John Lamb. You don't get to see John Lamb anymore either. Which, um, which actually, on a on a personal level, is is both it is upsetting. Like I, I do consider Lamb a friend, but it's also awesome that you know he got to actually see a lot of major league action. So 
Yeah, are the Louisville Bats, are they are they in the Pacific Coast or are they in the International League? International. No, they're in the inter- they're in the other league. Yeah. No, not the Reds. The 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 bat Louisville. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. They're in the International League. Okay. Uh, so then you really probably, unless they played in the uh, AAA Championship, you wouldn't get to see them. Oh well. Right. That's, and John Lamb's <laughs> great dad. It's true. It was super nice. I finally got to meet him after all this time. Finally got to meet in person this summer. So. Um. So. Anyway. <laughs> Game six is over. Royals, we're going to go to the World Series for two straight years. Matt, you brought up a good point, um, kind of coincidentally. It sounds like I think the Royals are playing for the second consecutive year um, the, the, the lowest record. I hate to say worst record because it's one of the best records, but one of the lowest winning percentages for playoff teams uh, are, you know, continually yeah, in the World Series again. In 2014, uh, the Giants were tied with the Pirates for the uh, – lowest record of um, any National League postseason team. So, um, you know, part of, I'll admit this now, part of me was a little bit happy when they were playing the Giants going into that series, like given the alternatives. Um, It seemed like the lesser of of the evils. Uh, So I won't be caught in that trap again, but, you know, they're um, they're not playing, they're not playing the juggernauts of the National League. So that's maybe one reason to take uh, a little bit of, I don't know, a positive outlook coming into the season. The, uh, they've got great, great pitching, um, but there's question marks on defense and there's question marks in the batter's box too. So I think this is this is going to be a competitive series. I don't, I don't foresee a Royals sweep or anything like that, but I, I do I do think that, you know, it's, it's not an unenviable position to be in. Yeah, and that kind of just speaks to the overall kind of atmosphere we have with the modern playoffs with two wildcard teams is that I mean and it even is kind of like this historically even predating the two wildcard uh, format is that you really just need to get into the playoffs and then from there I mean the Royals you know what you know Twitter and Facebook can argue with me about it but the Royals were not the best team last year they were not the best team in the AL no, the, the, the Jays, Jays were the best team in the AL. Yeah, and yet in this year and you know, and, and last year, uh, they weren't the best team in the AL. And yet, here they are, back-to-back World Series. So it's kind of that Murphy's Law uh, with the playoffs that it's the two teams that maybe probably don't have the best talent in the playoffs, but it doesn't matter. I mean, you, all you have to do is win, you know, win three games, or excuse me, win four games and then win uh, – why am I saying this wrong? Win three games and then win four games, and you're – do that twice, and hey, you're in the World Series. It's and, true. Yeah, it's that, true. Okay, I, I was waiting statement. for you guys to dispute my claim that. In no, fact, no, I, I checked it. I, I googled it, and it seems to be the case that it'll be a seven-game series. All you have to do is win eight games, and you make the World Series. You win the wild card if you're wild card team. Wild card, three games, and then four games. So yeah, you win eight games, you're the World Series bound, which the Royals did. Exactly. They won eight eight games in a row, which you kind of just got to get lucky for that like they did last year. Um, so, of course, we know the Royals are going to have home field advantage uh, with the AL winning the All-Star game, which is one of the dumbest ways to decide home field advantage, but we're not going to complain because it you know, locked it for the Royals. Um, but in games three, four, and five, we are going to have to travel to New York. Um, City Field, kind of historically his- – Historically, it's been they've been moving the fences in a bit, but historically, it's been a pretty good pitcher's park. 
um, which isn't great for a Royals offense, which isn't, you know, uh, at, at best it's an average offense. I think uh, in the playoffs they've, you know, really kind of put some runs, excluding the ALDS. Um, in the ALCS they, they scored quite a bit of runs overall in the series. Are we worried about, you know, this average, probably slightly below average offensive team um, at City Field, which is basically barely better than um, AT&T Park, which is probably the worst pitcher, the best pitcher's park in baseball. Are we concerned about that? Minda, tell us about your graphic. Yeah, Minda, <laughs> tell us about your graphic. Uh, a, a, a possible sliver of hope on that uh, comes from a MLB network graphic that my brother showed, uh, found and shared, stating that... Um, so it's a third in- party? This is a third party source? Absolutely, this is the hearsay is hearsay of all time. Okay, it's a screen cap um, of something. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, so in the regular season against fastballs that are 95 miles an hour or more, uh, the Royals had the best batting average, the best on-base percentage, and the second best slugging percentage um, in all the majors. Um, and as we know, the Mets rotation features some fast fastballs um so it seems that you know that's a skill or a whatever that the royals could perhaps exploit um except we um what's their era against lefties though (laughs) right we have some issues with uh with with how to how these numbers were arrived at but it's what mlv network said so I don't know how much we want to appeal to authority, but there it is. Yes. Did Pete, did Pete Rose put that together? Yeah, I was thinking the team that hired Harold Reynolds, um, Eric Burns, two of – and again, we use the term uh, analyst very loosely. It's um, just because that's what they say they're called. Right, you know? right. I'm also CEO of Apple. I don't know if you guys got that uh, memo, but I'm going to call myself a CEO now, which is still – yeah, how do you calculate OBP with – Fastball velocity or velocity—that doesn't—that's not—that's not possible to do. But either way, we've we've decided, and yes. I think Max was saying the same thing on uh, the last podcast. That the the Royals are good fastball hitters, and we were talking about, and I think I I wrongly suggested that they would do well against Estrada um, based on his fly ball tendencies, and and he ended up being right. They did struggle, particularly um, in Estrada's second start. So you know, a good contact team. Mets pitchers strike a lot of strike a lot of dudes out. And the yeah. Royals don't strike out a lot, so um, I expect this to be a, a BABIP or BABIP driven series. That this is this will be one uh, this will be one that hinges on the Mets defense and the Royals' ability to hit them where they aren't. I'm very concerned about. I mean, we're not just talking about four you know good pitchers, which you know the kind of saying is that pitching you know rules the playoffs, but we're talking about four guys who had seasons that were as good or better than Madison Bumgarner had last year. And we all know the the fable, not the fable, the, the story of Bumgarner versus the Royals um, in Game 7. I'm pretty concerned myself about having to go through, you know, Harvey, Syndergaard, DeGrom, um, and Stephen Matz, who's kind of, you know, he's a, he's a pretty good fourth guy. He's much better than our fourth guy, in my opinion. Um, we, sounds like across the board, though, we kind of have some legitimate concerns about how this team and – we spoke about this a little bit earlier that it's not – it's always good to have your best pitchers out there, but the Royals have kind of done not so bad against good pitchers, especially in the playoffs, beating Price twice, beat Keiko, um, kind of eventually beat McCullers. He did pretty good, and then they came back against him, but beat Stroman. 
Um, but there should still be some cause for concern, though, going against this lineup, no? Or this rotation? Oh, yeah. I'm not, I'm not saying at all that I, this is making me confident and I'm not getting my replica World Series ring order you know, process just yet. Um, I just think that, I mean, when when you're facing pitchers like this, you need to grasp to whatever silver line you have. And I yeah. think I think that that's, that's the one we've got, is that um, Royals hit, you know, uh, not every 95-mile-an-hour fastball is the same. It could be pinned straight, or it can have a lot of it can have a lot of run to it, um, and and these guys have some of the better fastballs. So it doesn't necessarily mean that that um, they're going to square them all up. But I do think that you know having a young team with good bat speed, um, a, a few guys who can make it happen on the base paths, uh, you know, it 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 could be worse. Yeah, and I'm kind of thinking, and I was thinking in my head, kind of comparing the Mets against the Royals. If you're going to break it down in kind of categories. Mets have the better rotation. Well, we have to, you know, uh, cede that point to them. But the Royals definitely have the better defense. Have the better bullpen, though. Uh, the Royals' bullpen gets a bit inflated as far as people saying that, you know, it's it's by far the best bullpen in the majors. It's very good, and it's up there as far as the best. And this is this year because we have to, you know, we're without Holland, of course. Um, R.I.P. Yeah, uh, but, you know, Davis is, is a machine – I think I think Familia though. I think that there's not a big difference between. I think it would go Davis and Familia, and then Familia is probably going to be pretty considerably better. Maybe not considerably, but enough of a space better than you know the next up with the Royals have Matson and Herrera. I think I would comfortably take Familia over Herrera and Matson, right? Uh, I don't know about Herrera, but definitely Matson. Yeah, I think I think it could be a wash with Herrera. I mean this. The last half season, as the guys from uh, AA were saying, yeah, with that splitter that he's added and, and um, kind of in addition to his slider, for sure. Um, but, you know, I think uh, Herrera's been one of the best for the last uh, the last years, one of the best non-closers, certainly, in the, in the league. Um, one of the better... Um, is there, there's not there can't be a better seventh inning man out there if that's what, is, if that's what his role sure. is right now. Yeah. So um, I'd say between the two of them, yeah, I, I'd put it at a wash. Yeah, and I think it's a wash for offense as well. I think the Royals and Mets, neither one of them have awesome, you know. The, the, although, the kind of Royals kind of get batted down by, they've got, you know, three guys, or I think they actually have four guys, I want to say, whose WRC plus is better than 120 or 110 or something. So they've got a few, you know, above average hitters, but then they've also got, you know, Rios and Escobar, and especially with the bane of my existence having Escobar lead off, which is probably going to con- continue, given that he just won the ALCS MVP. Yeah. Um, which I sounds like Mendes very happy about that. Mendes no, no. How no, is he it's a certainty. First, how is he going to swing at the first pitch if he doesn't lead off, though, Sean? That's true. Exactly. And, and they can't really win. That. You can't ambush with the ninth hitter. Then that's, that's a sneak attack. Yeah, and you know what? The Royals actually, if you don't include pitchers, the Mets have a 105 WRC plus, and the Royals have a hundred. So the Mets offense is a little bit better than I was giving them credit for. So I think so. We've got the Mets rotation is better. The Mets offense is better. Um, I think you had another category though. Sean. Uh, defense. No, no. There's another category still from that article you were reading. We'll yes. get into that. What? No, no, no. That's not. Oh, let's not tease you? that one just yet. Oh, um, I thought we were going there. But I, I think it's all queued up. We'll, yeah, we'll we'll do it in like two seconds. So we've got okay. <laughs> we've got the offense is better. The starter rotations is better. 
But the Royals kind of went on the auxiliary ones of, well, maybe not defense is auxiliary, but, you know, defense, bullpen, and, and base running. Those are ones that aren't quite as sexy as offense and the rotation, but they're still pretty crucial, and that's the Royals' way of winning. Uh, they've all been, you know, defense, base running, and bullpen have really carried them further than maybe they should have gone. Um, you know, comparing to projection systems and kind of the way that we look at baseball and, you know, uh, analyze baseball. Um, but does it seem overwhelming that, you know, the Mets are have the better rotation and probably the better offense too? Or do we think that the Royals can overcome that with the kind of three other things they're good at? Uh, I don't know. I, th- I think a 5% difference in the offense, um, especially with, uh, you know, Suspedis has that right shoulder injury that he's getting cortisone injections for. Um, and uh, and they lost Tejada, which, I mean, assuming, I don't have the numbers in front of me, I'm assuming he's better than Flores on, on, on the offensive side of the ball, maybe I'm wrong. Um, but, you know, the 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 lineups aren't, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a dynamic thing. So looking at a season-long, um, a season-long results doesn't necessarily reflect um, the current sta- status of the team. And, uh, and and so I, I I'd be tempted to put them the two uh, the two offenses at a wash as well. Okay. Um, but I certainly don't think the Royals have an, have an advantage there. But it, in terms of you know team defense and defensive replacement slash um, speed coming off the bench, yeah, I, I think um, that that's a heavy swing in the Royals' favor. Yeah, Mendo, make your projection your your prediction right now. What's will both all three of us go out on a limb? What's What's the status of the series? Who wins and how, and how many games? Oh, gosh. Right on the spot. I'm going to go gut Royals in six. Royals in six. Matt? Yeah, same. I was on another podcast earlier today. I, I've learned my lesson from pr- the uh, the postseason when I gave different projections, different predictions at every <laughs> place that asked me. Um, I'm going to keep it consistent. Royals in six. I can't take another game seven anyway, Sean. I'm into, I, like, my heart yeah. won't take it. I'm an old man. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I want to. I've net. I've. I have literally never picked the Royals to win uh, a postseason series. I picked them to unanimous unanimously lose every series last year, and I picked them to lose to Houston in the ALDS. So I'll say the Mets in five, and just hope that I'm again wrong on this. But yeah. I, I can't. I can't flip it now. I'm being way too Ned Yosty and kind of living by mm-hmm. um, luck. Yeah, this, but this is the. Prediction equivalent of batting SK leadoff, but I mean, yeah, it works. Exactly. Just the same and it kills me that I that I am doing something similar. <laughs> I know, and it's on the record for look all what the you, years. Look what you've become, Sean. Everything you hate. One thing I do hate is this uh, USA Today article I was reading um, that Matt hinted at earlier. Is that great thing? We so so. Long story short, kind of. It was kind of ranking like the nine most interesting facts or the nine most interesting – gosh dang. Um, I'll see if I can find it here. Was it, it keys to the series? Yeah, yeah, right. It was the nine <laughs> keys to the series. Um, and the like fifth or sixth one was hair, was pitcher hair, which is just it's the stupidest thing I've ever seen. But who do you think wins in the hair battle this year? Because the Mets, they've got some good hair, man. They've got Syndergaard with the Thor, the locks. They've got the uh, Grom with the cocker spaniel cut, but the Royals. You got Volquez with a nice, a nice old grandpa head of hair. He's got the George Jefferson, right? The George Jefferson, and then you've got Cueto with the good dreads, um, with the nice red ombre effect. 
very uh, oh, very in. That is very now. I didn't notice that. Okay. Yeah. I think uh, Ventura's got normal hair. He's got the he, Ventura's got a very classic fro. I love I love yeah. Ventura's hair. It's very sweet. He does have the yeah. fro. Davis's hair is born. Oh, Luke's got the long hair. Luke's kind of got a bit of a hippie look with the long beard and that kind of shaggy hair. But yeah, he, he's got a he's got a Westphalia Volkswagen van for sure in yeah. the parking lot. And I think and Bartolo Colon might have a perm. I'm not 100 percent certain, but I think he has a perm. I, I don't know, man. The Mets got the Mets have some strong pitching here. They they really do. I think we might give them the win. On is that, that one. okay? Yeah, maybe we have to redo our predictions, Minda. Yeah. I think this is the deciding. Yeah, you guys didn't factor in hair. I yeah. didn't. My gut, my gut was not ready to measure hair. I, I had to think analytically, and uh, but I'll, I'll still stick with Rose and Six. <laughs> Rose one thing, I know. Well, one thing this USA Today uh, article, if you want to call it that, really has going for it that I must recommend is evidently each item, each of the nine items, contains a poll. And I know how much we at Royals Review love series of polls. Yes. And so. I, I, I wanted to read this article, and I tried to Google it, but I think USA Today might be blocked in Canada. I don't know. You'll guys, maybe you can send me a screenshot later. Wait, what? Seriously? Um, you copy and paste it and publish it on Canada Today. Perfect. Yeah, yeah. Canada Today is so hot right now. I hear it. It's nine extremely important factors that could determine the Mets Royals World Series. So pitcher hair is one of the extremely. Not only Are you is sure it that's important, not BuzzFeed, Sean. I'm positive the right it's, URL. Well, it's on it's on ftw.usa today. I don't know if that's their onion. Oh, version. for the win. Yeah, is that a specific thing or maybe that's like their funner side because bullpen yeah, number six. Yeah, it's like the not graphs. Oh, They're is it really? Graphs. Oh, that's not yeah. fun. Because number six bullet point is Carlos Beltran's Hall of Fame plaque. Is it going to be a Met or a Royal? I, let me see. Cause he, was he on the Mets? He wasn't on the Mets for that long. He was part of that Zach Wheeler trade, uh, and that he was only on there for like like two he years. Was on the I Ma- say. He was there for a while. He was just hurt the whole time. He had that microfracture. Surgery. Oh wow! Yeah, he, you know what? He was. I was thinking he was barely there, but he, he just he played was. like fifty games. He, he, he didn't. He just how didn't that play affects this World Series is a, a mystery to this old lady. Wait, what am I thinking wrong? Because that Zach, Zach Wheeler has not been in the Mets the Mets organization since two thousand five. I don't think that's... No, they, tra- they traded him to San Francisco, and that's how they got Zach Wheeler. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, right, they traded him away for Zach Wheeler. Okay, sorry, yeah. I was get it backwards. I was like, there's no way. So, yeah, he was in the Mets for uh, quite some time. Okay, but I don't know. I, I, is he a Royal, though? Is If he goes to Hall of Fame, is he a Royal, or do you think he's a Mets? I think he's probably... He's got to be... No, he's an Astro, Sean. If he's anybody, he's I, an Astro. You not a Cardinal? <laughs> no, he's, he's, he's a Yankee or he's an Astro. There's no way. Let me. I'm gonna pull this up for you right now. He was on the Astros. He had he had that crazy postseason with the Astros. Legitimately, he had that great one. But he was there for like three weeks. Yeah, he played 90 games for the Astros. Um, the Mets. He played 150, 140, 144, 160. So I mean, he probably played 500 or so games with the Mets. I think he. Yeah, but he accrued most of his. Oh, man, that's a tough one. I don't know. We can make that. I'll make that a poll. Um, in the in the article here, so for That's you, fun. yeah, for you listeners, go ahead and vote on the poll if, if Beltron. I already know the I already know the unanimous choice is going to be the Royals, anyways. But I'll put it out there just just make to, it if it if if he didn't go in as a Royal, which team would he go in? As? Okay, okay. Um, one other thing that is mentioned on that article, and I think we got uh, Max 
was tweeting about this, or whoever was running the Royals Review Twitter account today was tweeting about it. Um, bagels versus barbecue. What? It's That's patently ridiculous. A bagel is not a meal. Yeah. Matt, you, I, I, you, I, Matt, you're boardwalking a vote, even though you don't really get a vote in this choice. Don't you guys barbecue your bagels? It's the oh, same thing. Oh, I know. I didn't think about that. No, um, I like I'll, Montreal bagels are pretty legit, um, but I didn't. I, I guess New York's got them too. I but you have to go barbecue. Come on, please. Bagel, bagels just bum Child, me out, please. man. They're just like you think that you're really gonna like it. And it's almost like a donut, but it's not as good as a donut. But it's still – I'll take a croissant over a bagel. I'll take a donut, a croissant. Um, what am I missing here? The little triangle-shaped things. I'll take one uh, – not a strudel. Oh, oh, wait, a, a turnover? A turn, I'll take a turnover over a bagel. I'm thinking of maybe stuff that are breakfast. Basically the whole Pillsbury catalog. You'll take right. A, a croissant. Bagel. I'll take anything over a bagel, I feel like. You could put as much – what's the sa- – not salmon. What is it? Locks. You could put as much locks on it as you want. Bagels are just so boring, man. I'm not going to diss a bagel. I like a bagel. I'm not going to – I like – yeah, me too. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll smash a bagel in the morning, but yeah. I mean barbecue all day. Do they have – And that's from, a, that's from, a, that's from, a, that's from a, a dude from Toronto, so do they have, that's uh, impersonal. Do they have uh, Einstein Brothers up in Canada? No, there's no because that's kind of the bagel emporium uh, here in the U.S. At least it used to be. I don't know. Oh, man, is there, am I missing an American bagel company? I feel like oh, Einstein's. That, that is seems, where, that's kind of the thing. Yeah, we don't have one at, in Omaha, but it, it's the thing. And Omaha's still running just fine without an Einstein. Same thing with Kansas <laughs> City. There's, there's not a lot of Einsteins here, and we're doing okay. And it's, it's curious they wouldn't do pizza, which you think that's kind of what New York is synonymous for. You you go on down to uh, Sparrows, you get your New York style pizza, and you're good to go. You're fine Italian. Don't uh, so just a note to any Royals fans that are heading down to City Field. I went there in 2013 for uh, to see the Royals play the the Mets because it was the closest they were coming, and uh, went with old my old man. We wanted to see a new park, um, and we decided to walk around and try to get some food before we headed into the stadium. And there is nothing around. I think we walked like it must have been like 40 blocks to find a place to eat, and it was some um, just absolutely bizarre um, restaurant that I, I can't even remember. We had these weird ass chicken wings and uh at least they had pictures of Sapporo but um for Royals fans you know either pack a lunch or google map something ahead of time because there is no food around City Field and I'm not even and they actually just opened a Shake Shack um and a and a McFadden's they just opened a Shake Shack of what I can remember but I pulled up City Field and here's going to be the part where we just riff on the Mets and make fun of them um even though they're going to win in five games um so they can take it then. So, looking at Google Maps, and I just typed in City Field on Google Maps, I count. It, let me list the businesses that automatically popped up that are literally just across the street: uh, Clearway Auto Parts, uh, Muffler, BCA Auto Parts, Royal Used Cars, Sunrise Auto Parts, Trading Auto Parts, T Minor Auto Parts. For some reason, there's six or seven different car-related stores right next to the thing, right next to the stadium, and I feel like. People in New York, don't they usually ride like the subway? I feel like cars aren't – well, they're big in New York because there's so many damn people. But why are there so many auto they're parts chop, stores? they right? got to be chop shops. they got to be chop shops. Right. Shop. They're, right. they're just like – they're taking tourist cars out of the city field parking lot and they're just Chopping ripping them. them down for parts. And, uh, and you know, that's, that's the local industry. Did you take 
Is do they have a park? They've got a park. Yeah, they've got a parking lot. But did you take the the subway to get there? Uh, we stayed at a hotel that was just on the other side of the park. Um, it was like it was a short walk, so we we drove down, parked at our hotel, and then walked wow. over. And we decided, yeah, we decided to hoof it. We because well, there are restaurants if you want to eat at like a Subway or McDonald's, yeah. but there was nowhere. Like we wanted beer, we wanted beer and food, and apparently there were no places within reasonable walking distance when we went that served both. So Mets fans can get at us if, if they want. Maybe maybe uh, maybe I just missed it, but I'm pretty sure that there was you know nothing to eat around the park. There's Minda, there's no better subway than the subway that's just down the street from Warner Park though, right? Uh nope. Not anywhere. They I don't know. I they feed me, so I don't even know what's near Warner Park. Yeah, you get there's the some... uh, you get the press box food, huh? Yeah, I do. Gosh. It's the life. She she gets married, she gets press box food, she gets to interview John Lamb all the time. Minda's <laughs> hashtag blessed. Yeah, Minda's definitely blessed. All right, well, um, as you guys can tell, we've got nothing else to talk about. We've exhausted pretty much everything that has to do with the ALCS and the upcoming World Series. Um, of course, we'll have another podcast recapping what happened in the World Series. I always want to say that, oh, yeah, we're going to do one between the break, but we have yet to do that in the ALCS or the ALDS. So pretty much don't expect another podcast unless it's just me ranting for half an hour. Um until after the World Series, after the Royals win the World Series, I should say. Um, Matt, Minda, what do we miss? Nothing, man. We've been on this thing for hours. We're yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sorry to keep everybody. <laughs> no, no I, I loved it. It was That's, good to talk to you. I don't get to talk to Royals fans very often, man. We could do this all night. Nice. Uh, Minda, what's going on in Omaha? Uh, any, anything coming up? Anything good? Any big uh, Halloween fest or something? Um, more hockey. So more hockey. I. Yeah, I didn't even oh. hear. I didn't even hear what you said right there. So it's okay. <laughs> um, so good. All right. So usual Twitter shoutouts. Um, you can uh, follow Menda on Twitter, and her Twitter is going to be when I pull it up. But it's uh, Menda thirty three. That's right. Uh, pretty short and sweet. Menda three three. And then Matt's got a little more complicated uh, Twitter. Uh, yeah, I can hit you with it if you want to go it's- spell it. Yeah. Jacks don't take you. It's J A C K S O N T A I G U, and uh, you know it's pretty great. Uh, I think uh, my loyal followers would attest to me being pretty hilarious. They should probably follow me. I agree as a follower. So good. Um, all right, everybody. Well, thanks for listening. Of course, good luck to the Royals World Series. Congrats, Matt, Minda, myself, Royals fans everywhere. Back to back World Series. It'll be great. Uh, hopefully, we can finally uh, hang up that banner and, and have a win. Um, signing off everybody we'll see you after the World Series and have uh, many many uh, good days one love the crown